This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Karen Steele, CMO of Lean Data. Prior to Lean Data, Karen was Group Vice President of Corporate Marketing at Marketo. On this episode, Karen talks all about working for Steve Jobs at Apple and Next, as well as best practices for marketing attribution and how to drive meaningful engagement. It's a really great episode with some incredible stories. I think you'll really enjoy it. Just one note, this was recorded at the Serious Decisions 2019 B2B Marketing Summit in the main exhibition hall, so there is a little bit of background noise. Having said that, as usual, here are a few highlights. Everything with Steve is about trust. And he had a very small circle of trust, and I found myself in it. It always comes down to, you know, the brand promise. Like, Mm -hmm. what's that single thing you want to stand for in the heart and mind? And you have to always be connected to that. I think the most important thing that we can do as marketers is help connect the story and the brand to the company and to the message that a rep's going to carry forward. And one that has staying power. You know, I I care less about, you know, somebody deviating from the corporate deck versus do they get the story. A big thank you to Karen for coming on the show. So without further ado, here is our interview with Karen Steele, CMO of Lean Data. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And to my right, in our little podcast fishbowl in the center of serious decisions, Lauren Vaccarello. Hey everybody! It's great to great to be here in the fishbowl. It's great to be here. It's such a it's such a fun space. And you not only you loved it so much that you broke the plane that you were on I, just a few hours ago, so you could come back. Which I did. Is great. I was I was supposed to supposed to leave serious decisions, and I just willed it so that couldn't happen, and decided, you know what? I'd rather just stay here and interview people like our amazing guest, Karen. How are you? Good to see you, Lauren. I'm really happy that you stayed. Thank you. Me too. It's so good to see you again. Likewise. Don't say you're so happy yet. Wait till the questions are coming. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to get into a bunch of stuff from your background. You've had an amazing career in marketing. We're going to get into uh, all the stuff that you're doing at Lean Data. We're going to talk about companies needing a chief engagement officer. We're going to talk about, you know, platform for revenue operations and, and a few other things. But first... You worked for Little Fruit Company uh, <laughs> towards the beginning of your career. Can you tell us about that? I did. Um, this is not the Apple you know today, because I actually started at Apple in 1981. So this was pre-Macintosh. Wow. So they were a hardware company. They had software too, but they were not the sort of consumer brand you know them for today. We didn't all carry around devices in our pockets back then. And, and I was young. I, was, uh, I chose to actually work at Apple while I was going to college and surprisingly stayed there for a long time. I was there for the Macintosh introduction. And I had the good fortune when I left Apple, I went to Next, uh, which was the company Steve Jobs founded 
after he was pushed out of Apple initially. And I worked for him directly for about five years. And so if I look back on my career, Apple was absolutely the foundation. And I learned a ton from Steve. Yeah. What are some of those things that that you learned from him? I mean, you know, he's obviously just such an icon. And I think a lot of times we see a lot of the headline stuff now of like, it's good for uh, clickbait to, you know, do that stuff. You know, the speech that he gave, I forget what college was that at Stanford. Anyways, one of the speeches that he gave, which is like now a viral video and is like unbelievably, you know, famous. But what were some of the things that, you know, on a more personal level that you learned from him? Yeah, so it's, uh, I have very fond memories, unlike some of my predecessors who held different marketing roles, he and I actually got along quite well. And I think because somewhere along the way, I earned his trust. And everything with Steve is about trust. And he had a very small circle of trust, and I found myself in it. And so when you're in the circle of trust, he confides in you and shares a lot, you know, good and bad. So yes, the stories you hear about how challenging he could be when he wasn't happy with performance of certain individuals, that was absolutely true. But he was probably the most passionate, brilliant marketer I've ever, ever learned from. And they were they were simple things that I that I took away. They were, you know, it was about being really engaging with people, creating a great experience all the time, not overcomplicating things, even though Next was selling into a, it was a technical workstation, basically, and we mm-hmm. were selling into financial services and government, but we were selling ease of use and we were selling value at a time when I don't think tech companies focused on that. They were focused on speeds and feeds, and that's never what, you know, Apple in the early days and, and next was about. It was about the experience of the individual and the value you could bring to the business. We did a two-part episode on 40 lessons from 40 years of Apple advertising. Yeah. One of the early episodes of Marketing Trains, Lauren and I did it. And it was super fun to go through all of the ads. But I'm curious, like, where do you think Apple stands in like the pantheon of companies that were good at marketing? I think they created high tech marketing. And I absolutely think, you know, I I would have to give some some shout out to, to IBM at the same time. But I think they defined high tech marketing, but also high tech advertising in a time when so I had the good fortune of working with folks at Chiat Day and and some of the people that really defined the Apple brand back then when companies weren't spending money on branding, you know, and, and Apple did some really amazing things. I mean, the, obviously I, the 1984 commercial was, you know, it's legendary to this day, but some of the things they did around humanizing the use of a personal computer and putting the Apple brand forward, you know, creating emotion on television with a piece of hardware was Phenomenal. So I, I learned a ton and I worked with some of the best in the, in the absolute business. And, and for our listeners who haven't checked out those episodes, uh, go back and listen to them. I mean, I think, you know, I think we did a really good job, but it's more just going back and reliving all of these ads because the lessons of how to use celebrities, which Apple was, people don't write I me, mean, it's just like absolutely the best at how to humanize technology, talking about the humans problem and how the technology puts them in the future, shaping worlds in the future that technology plays a part. It's just, it's something that we take for granted a little bit that we don't look kind of back in the past and just see like why were certain campaigns like 
eternal. It was anyways, it was a fun. Yeah. Fun they, um, you know, the celebrities just for the record, they, they all got paid scale. So they got a MacBook at the time for their time doing a commercial. Like, so if you think they were big endorsement deals that these celebrities got tens of millions of dollars, they did not. They did it because they cared about the brand and they did it because they knew it was a way for them to get out in front of a great audience. So they were some remarkable things. Apple did some cool campaigns that I was involved in. You know, one of the things when I left Next, I went back to Apple. I ran worldwide consumer brand and advertising for a couple of years. And we did work with National Geographic and PBS and, you know, a bunch of these incredible titles that if you think about and MTV, when MTV was pretty new, the kind of work we were doing was just absolutely breakthrough. So, you know, Apple became at the time, I think, sort of a lifestyle brand. And but it was really, you know, it was a hardware company. Um, But we had a lot of fun. Switching gears to what you're working on at Lean Data as CMO. Some really exciting stuff, some recent funding announcements, a lot of stuff going on. Can you share like your roles and responsibilities as CMO? Absolutely. So I joined Lean Data is about a six and a half year old company. I joined about a year and a half ago. And the company has always had a very close relationship with Salesforce. So we're built natively on top of the Salesforce platform. And we've always been about creating a more efficient data model for the CRM system. So people who know us uh, sort of in the tech jargon world would think of us for lead to account matching or lead routing. But what we quickly realized is we were adding a lot more value in terms of data and infrastructure that connects all the sales and marketing systems. So we are promoting now a revenue ops platform. That's something Serious Decisions is talking about this week that we're really excited about because for years we've talked about sales and marketing alignment, but if you can really bring the teams together, plan together in a single platform, execute all your go-to-market from a single platform, and then have all the measurement on the back end, which is what we provide, we think teams can do a much better job. Absolutely. And we've been talking a lot about that with other with other guests today of if sales and marketing are looking at different data, different data sets, you're never going to have that degree of alignment. If you have marketing saying, look how great we're doing and sales saying, but we're not, I don't see any of this. It starts that immediate friction and that immediate lack of trust. And having that platform of this is the ultimate source of information. This is actually really providing that transparency between sales and marketing. Yeah. And if you think about, so if we believe that the CRM is the system of record, Mm -hmm. which I think many of us in sales and marketing do, if you believe that, that getting the, the leads and accounts and opportunity and contacts and all that data in a place where sales and marketing agree on what's what, if that's the core data that you're using to measure your performance across your go to market, then you'll ultimately have more alignment and success. And so for me, marketing attribution, I worked at Marketo for a few years and, you know, everybody wants marketing attribution and people talk Mm -hmm. about Mm multi-touch or non-multi, first touch, last touch. The reality is if you can't trust the data, who cares about the attribution? And so the good news with our platform is that if you start at the context of leads and accounts and contacts and everybody's in alignment on what the data is, then you have a much better shot at creating that alignment in terms of marketing attribution and measurement. How do you think about attribution? 
So I believe in multi-touch and I, I do like to see the entire journey. I'm sure Lauren knows it's, it's a, it is a life cycle process. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just look at a single campaign. Yep. So on my team, we actually use our own tool and we do full multi-touch. We do multi-touch generated pipeline contribution, which we sign up to a number. And that's basically everything that happens in sales and marketing until the opportunity gets created. Mm-hmm. And then we also look at multi-touch accelerated, which is after the opportunity gets created, what happens in the deal cycle. Yes. And you want to look at both of those things because you can tweak on both sides and you can tweak on the sales side and the marketing side. So I'm a huge fan. Uh, All of our customers use attribution a little bit differently. I think the one thing I've learned over the years, and I, I spend a lot of time in the business intelligence and analytics space as well. And it's, it's just a journey. It's mm-hmm. not one and done. You don't yeah. create a model and say, woohoo, here's my report. I'm, I'm happy. You're going to ask five more questions the minute you see the data. And so I'm a huge, huge fan in just tweaking and refining and making it better. I, I completely agree with you. And it's the, one of the things I've always thought about attribution is just figure out what model you want to do and stick with it so you can actually know if something's working or not. Nothing is perfect. And one of the things that you said that I love that I don't think enough marketers are doing, and you could correct me when I misquote this, is that <laughs> that what you're doing for attribution from lead to opportunity creation and what are all the different touches. And I feel like so many marketers stop there. But the fact that you have opportunity to deal close and what is actually helping from a velocity perspective, from Absolutely. a win rate perspective... The, your demand gen team is great, but also our job isn't just, all right, get them to opportunity. Is sales enablement helping the deal close? Is field marketing helping the deal close? Correct. That velocity piece is so impactful. Yep. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, with, with account-based, I mean, everybody's been talking about ABM for a long time. And the best way to use ABM is to use it through the whole process, you know, yep. because mm-hmm. it's not just account-based marketing. It is truly account-based as a philosophy. There's mm-hmm. a ton of great vendors here on the floor that are doing some really cool things, but you want to be able to trigger all that stuff through the entire deal process. Yep. So huge fan. I think we've interviewed every single one. You probably point. have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably um, some of my friends have been in this seat. Oh yeah. We've had, uh, we've had John Miller back twice. Uh, uh, talking to ABM. But saw yeah. him yesterday. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, and I think that you you nailed it with the, the fact that it's a philosophy, you know, and I think engagement is a pretty nebulous term, but it's really critical and like levels like, you know, why is, why is person once said there are levels to this stuff? <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think that that's really true. Like how we measure engagement is super important. You recently have talked about that companies need a chief engagement officer. Why do you think that? And what is that? Yeah. So because I do think it's ultimately it's about the experience. Right. I mean, as marketers, we are as as B2B marketers, we're measured on revenue, we're measured on pipeline. But what are you trying to do with pipeline? You're trying to engage people in a process to get them to buy from you. Mm-hmm. And so engagement to me is is the process that you go through to get people interested and get them to take action around your brand and who you are and what you stand for. So I believe that every marketer today, and again, we all, you know, in some ways carry bags because we are part of the revenue Mm -hmm. team. But at the end of the day, you care about the brand and you care about the experience and you care about all the touches that equal the experience because I want to be known for that what I say is true and people are going to, I'm going to have credibility. And if I want to be a thought leader, if I want to educate the market, I want to make sure that all those touches equal credibility. Mm -hmm. And that's what engagement is. 
what are some best practices that you've seen from whether it's other companies or companies that you've worked at or uh, or just colleagues that do a great job of engagement? Well, I'll definitely give a shout out to my former employer, Marketo. I do think Marketo does, you know, they, they've talked about engagement for a while. And I think, you know, one of the things that they they try and help companies do is look at every single channel and making the experience consistent through every single channel. And and I think that's really important, too. If I come to a trade show and I walk by a booth, I want to feel the same if I'm picking up a piece mm-hmm. of collateral or if I'm visiting the, the company's website or if I'm ultimately having a conversation with a rep or a marketer. And so I think Marketo's done a good job. They talk about in the same way that I think, you know, Zuora talks about the subscription economy. Yeah. Marketo's mm-hmm. talked about the engagement economy. And I think, I think it is, it's about relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's about, for us as B2B marketers, you've got to humanize your brand, mm-hmm. right? And I go back to the Apple stuff where, again, we didn't talk about speeds and feeds. I was marketing to families with children, little yeah. computers that yeah. their kids could play and learn on. And that's the emotional connection you want to make. And that's what we as marketers can't lose in the B2B world. We've got to make sure we're always thinking about the connection of the mind and the heart. And that's, again, where my roots in Apple, I think, steer me well every single day. Absolutely. And then going back to something you were you were talking about earlier that just resonates really intensely with me is the as B2B marketers, what we need to do to build that emotional connection, to create that story, to create that narrative. And I... I love data-driven marketing. I love all of the analytics and all of the performance numbers and the fact that we know the impact of what we do and how marketing has a seat at the revenue table. And I see these really sort of big drivers into, okay, we're data-oriented. What can we do with machine learning and AI? How can we drive scale? How can we drive automation? How can we get better and better at the numbers? And I get it and I buy into it with the caveat of, You can't lose the heart and the soul. You can have all the numbers. You can have all the data-driven optimization and scale. But as marketers, it can't just be that. We need to have what is that emotional connection? What's the storyline? What is the thing you're trying to do? It's like robots and machines cannot replace that. No, no question. And I think it... It always comes down to, you know, the brand promise. Like, mm-hmm. what's that single thing you want to stand for in the heart and mind? And you have to always be connected to that. And a lot of people think that's fluffy in the world of B2B marketing. It's not. It's how you differentiate. And and to this day, that's how Apple differentiates. The People care about Amazon because they care about an experience that mm-hmm. they have with Amazon, right? I, I don't want to go to, you know, Walmart or CVS and buy a bunch of this junk. I'd rather just order it on Amazon. I know it's going to be at my doorstep the next day. And Amazon gets crushed. This is a, it's a really good point. Amazon gets crushed sometimes, like in the press, like by, by journalists for a bunch of different stuff, whether it's unfound or not. You do not see consumers lashing out. They're just like, uh, my stuff gets here every day yep. <laughs> when I want it. So like no amount of, not no amount of press, but like that type of press, I, I really don't think it informs any buying decision ever from consumers or very few. Yeah. Yeah. I think for, for, you know, in the spirit of what we're all doing here and B2B marketing, you know, we have different services we provide and, and we, it is hard cause we, we care a lot about revenue and selling and pipeline and everything else. But You've got to stand for something. And it doesn't mean you have to stand for something that's 
you know, you're doing a whole bunch of philanthropic stuff. It, it just, you got to stand for something that people care about and you got to be true to that brand. And the most important thing about that is keeping your entire, entire employee base connected to that. Because it's fine if I get up on stage and I go talk about something, if then a sales rep goes and has a conversation with somebody and they say something totally different, then the, it, the breakdown just starts happening and it can quickly erode a brand, you know, as quickly as you can build a brand up. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a great, it's a great point about messaging and about keeping on message versus like being creative as a salesperson. Is there anything that you've done in your career that have been kind of like best practices for like helping enable sales to stay on script, but giving them the freedom to like massage those sort of things? Yeah. So first of all, sales enablement, it's a hard job. I'm not tasked with it, but I applaud anybody who does it well, because I, I think it's really hard. I think, you know, marketers have to do a lot of the heavy lifting around educating about product, you know, features, value, pricing. But, you know, the reps got to carry it out there. I think the most important thing that we can do as marketers is help connect the story and the brand to the company and yeah. to the message that a rep's going to carry forward. And one that has staying power. You know, I, I care less about, you know, somebody deviating from the corporate deck versus do they get the story? Does the story resonate with them such that they can go out and deliver it in a passionate way? And then I don't care if they use the slides or they don't. Um, <laughs> I just, I do care that they're on message and I do care that they make a connection. And the connection is, ideally, you know, centered around a brand promise and centered around what we stand for as a company. I've been very fortunate, you know, we've done things over the years, whether they're brand workshops or sort of training sessions where we've tried to just, we call them immersion days where we're just trying to immerse the, you know, the sales teams and other teams with the brand experience because it is an experience. You're setting expectations, you're making a set of promises, you've got to create the experience around that. And then your buyer gets the chance to come back and judge how you did mm -hmm. and see if you're going to come, if they're going to come back and buy from you again. So that's a fun process, which I, I love. I want to get into some of your favorite campaigns that you've run over the years, uh, and then we'll do least favorite next. So do you have any particular ones that stand out that you were really proud of? So, you know, I, I you know, we have less options these days, I suppose. But I, I remember when I when I was at Apple years ago and, and Apple was starting to market the concept, again, they had, they were a computer company at the time, mm -hmm. not what they are today. Uh, but they were selling the whole concept of kind of work groups and selling sort of connected networks and those types of things. <laughs> and we actually produced, it was a piece of direct mail at the time, but it was basically, think about an eight page brochure, but if you didn't have the staples on the side, so it wasn't saddle stitch, it was folded, but the thing was actually all glued together. So when you open it up at the end, it was just this sort of round sort of work group, if you will. And so oh. it was the, the whole thing was attached. And it, it seems kind of silly. But at the time, to do a, a pretty expensive custom piece of direct marketing like that, to try and get a concept across that said, this is all a holistic sort of a work group philosophy. And because it's that, the same thing that's going to happen in the way you, that you read this piece of collateral will feel like that. That was kind of a fun thing that we did. Yeah, that is fun. Yeah. You know, I think it's always fun to do some of the ABM stuff now where you're mm -hmm. really trying to 
get executives' attentions, not just send them a bottle of champagne or, mm-hmm. you know, tickets to the ball game, but really personalized stuff where you figure out where does this person come from? What do they care about? So we've done some really fun personalized ABM stuff over the years that, you know, that even if they're never going to buy from you, they're going to call you up, you know, and you're going to make a connection with them. And so there's some folks on the show floor here I know that do that stuff really, really well, but have, have had some fun with that. And it builds that really positive brand connection. It does. What have you got, Lauren? Favorite, favorite campaign? No, no. I'm saying what have you got? What wow. presents have you gotten over the years? You had a lot of big budgets. I did have a lot, lot of, of big budgets. A lot of wooing. I will say one thing that I got that I just really loved and totally like geeked out on that I still have is actually from Engageo. And they sent me a little bobblehead of me with oh, a cool. um, a cape. <laughs> and it had my name on it. And I just, I got that and I went, did you just send me my own Lauren bobblehead? <laughs> And I just, I loved it. And I think I was in a sales cycle with them or I had just closed and I probably said something nice about them since I love John Miller and I really like account-based marketing and clearly I was one of the targets. That's hilarious. And I got the bobblehead. And the irony of that is after we did that, we were doing, um, it was while I was at Box and we were doing some sort of awards internally. And we're doing these awards internally so we actually took the idea from them and created an Aaron Levy bobblehead. And that we ended up giving to like the marketer of the quarter. Oh, that's great. We give them the an Aaron Levy bobblehead. That's um, awesome. That's just what they need to know. He's always watching. He's always, he's all, he's always watching. <laughs> it's actually, it's tech enabled. So he actually is watching. He, he's always watching. And then we even took it one level further because everyone really loved the bobbleheads. We had um, our advocates some of the at box sort of the champions and the top advocates that we wanted to recognize at our um, at our user conference, we actually ended up going and making the basically hero bobbleheads for our hero um, That's advocates. Cool. That's fun. And it just it went over so, so well. And our at box, the sort of box champions aren't the CIOs who get all of this swag and recognition. It's the IT director who honestly probably gets beat up more than they get recognized. That's a great point. That's a really good point. Uh, And for them to get these like custom bobbleheads of them and to do a custom bobbleheads, probably like 200 bucks. So, 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 so worth it. We've got so much sort of positive brand efficacy from that and the fact that that all stemmed from Engageo sending me one of all of the things I've gotten, that's the one that I still have in my office at home. That is cool. What about you? Have you got any good ones? So actually, yeah, I've gotten the the, the types now that I think you, where you can select your own gift. Mm-hmm. You know, those are kind of cool. But actually, one of the things that I got that we then used and we did as a Christmas gift was, uh, or actually we did it as a New Year's gift from, from Lean Data, all our customers. There's a company called Sugar Wish. And they do customized boxes of candy, but they they can be theme based, too. And you pick what you want. So, you know, think about, you know, you know, those little sort of bento box squares that you Mm -hmm. can have the gummies in one and little chocolates in the other. And so you can do it theme based. And so I got one. I thought it was so cool that I then we did it for the, the lean data actually this year, the the holiday or New Year gift. 
And then on Valentine's Day, I did little custom boxes for my nieces and sent them all where basically they got a thing that you get a text and the text basically says, you've been sent a sugar wish. Click here to, you know, customize and pick your candy and you get to go in and pick whatever you want. And my nieces, all of them were just tickled pink, no pun intended, but um, (laughs) because it's a really cool thing to do when you get a chance to personalize something on your own. I think it's just fun to that's engagement. So I do like that. What about some campaigns that were the worst? Well, one that comes to mind, this is dating myself going back to Apple. This was actually a great campaign, but one that was executed badly. And I think it's just as important to focus on Mm -hmm. both sides. You can be as creative as possible, but if it bombs an execution, when Apple was launching the Macintosh, so it was a whole new paradigm of cool new computer, etc. They spent millions of dollars on a campaign that was called Test Drive a Macintosh. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that you would go into a store, any retailer that sold computers, it would be like a Best Buy today. Mm -hmm. Back then there were other stores. There weren't Apple stores back then. But you would go in and basically get to take home a computer for the weekend. And we did cool stuff. We ran all kinds of advertising around it. We gave away little, you know, driver gloves for the hand and, you know, <laughs> like really cool, fun. It like it was very thematic, etc. But we launched the campaign in the holiday season oh, when goodness. these stores were packed oh, and not a single retailer wanted to fulfill the campaign because they had lines of people that were ready to buy product. And now you've got something that you're going to give them for free and they've got to sign all kinds of forms and stuff like that. So it was it was a wonderful campaign executed very poorly. So you have to look at both sides. One of the things you talked about in the past is about. Is it the three A's? I don't know. It <laughs> um, is. Advocacy. Triple A. Yeah, triple A. There we go. Not the not the automobile, whatever they're called, insurance company. Triple A, advocacy, advisory, and adoption. Uh, can you explain why these three things are important? Yes. So particularly in a in a SaaS world where customers are everything, renewals are everything, you've got to think of the entire life cycle of the customer. Mm-hmm. And so I've always prided myself on the fact that every marketing team I've ever been a part of, we've already had, we've always had a strong focus on the customer. So when I think of building customer marketing organizations that are closely paired with your customer success teams uh, mm-hmm. that may work for the chief customer officer, there are three components. So there's advocacy, there's advisory, and there's adoption. Most companies think about advocacy. They think about, let's go out and get some references. Let's build some cool assets. Let's get customers to speak on our behalf. And that's really just the starting point. Mm -hmm. I think the next thing you, so you can do all those things and there's some great tools out there. I'm a huge fan of Influitive. We Mm -hmm. used that as our, our platform when I was at Marketo, but the advisory piece is really key too. So these are you know, strategic advisory board, product groups, user groups, mm. and and really bodies that you set up that come back and give the company feedback on on a whole number of fronts. So advisory is critical, and it's just as important for the customers to talk to other customers. And then adoption, once again, in a SaaS world, in terms of upsell and cross-sell, it's not just engaging the customer on the product they have today, but what about new features you're going to add? What about add-on products that you might want to resell? And so you've got to have processes for 
getting people engaged and adopting new capability and new products. So anytime I look at a customer customer marketing process, I look at those three A's and I make sure we're doing stuff across all three. So I I love the advisory board stuff. And this is a really interesting, I don't think we've really ever talked about it on the show. How do you go about doing that in the best way? I mean, and one of the issues that we've kind of always thought about with this is that people are really busy giving them more work for no money in a lot of cases is is not always a winning strategy but there's things that you can do there's offsites there's retreats but then people have to balance like hey would i rather spend time with my kids this weekend or my family or whatever or would i rather you know go to like a private ranch with a bunch of other you know right. people on this advisory board how did you look at that sort of stuff yep it, it's a great question and i i think it, it's the difference between having what I would consider sort of a passive group of people that will give you feedback and talk versus people that are really putting skin in the game. And so I think when you're choosing a true strategic advisory board have to be your top customers, even if your top customers aren't all happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether you look at that from a ARR or they're in the top verticals I care about, or these are our top brands, whatever, however you think about or come up with that list of customers, you've got to get representation and you've got to get them to commit in the same way you're going to commit. And they're, you're right, they're not paid for the most part. What we would ask in uh, many companies that I've been at is you're asking for an annual commitment. There's usually one physical event you might make that retreat like in kind of nice, a little bit of a boondoggle, if you will. But you're also asking for at least three other sessions that they're going to do via a Zoom meeting or Mm -hmm. or something like that. And you are going to get the feedback and you are going to take that to heart and you're going to make it actionable and your executives are going to communicate with these people. And so it's a a two-way street. So you have to be really careful in the selection of the people and then they have to know what they're getting out of it too. You know, in the early days of startups, you know, I remember when we gave some stock to some of the early companies that, Mm -hmm. yeah, that that participate in this stuff. But that to me is more of a product council. What I'm talking about is true strategic advisory. And that's the kind of stuff I think most companies need today. We are forming one right now at Lean Data. We put one together at Marketo where it was our top 12 clients across the globe. So that's the other thing. You've got to keep it nimble and Mm -hmm. small enough that you can manage it and small enough that everybody on there has a voice. And it's not about one company's agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can get so much value out of that in terms of where the market's headed, things you should be thinking about from a partnership standpoint, services you could offer, et cetera. It's incredibly valuable, but they take a lot of work. Well, yeah. And it just seems like Yeah. I mean, in order to have skin in the game, like you really have to give something back. They're already giving you something and it's like the lifeblood of your company, which is their money for your services. So, I mean, as the as the sales reps of those accounts, I'm sure either have a heart attack when you want to ask them for that or they're like, oh, that's great. It'll enhance the engagement. Um, I mean, what is that like? Well, and, you know, that's the other thing is the reps don't go. Typically what happens, Mm -hmm. I'll give you the example, the one that I was most recently involved in at Marketo, it was our top, I think there were 12 or 13 customers. It was not even every executive in the company. There were hand-selected executives that got to participate. Not a single rep goes because this is not a selling situation. Mm -hmm. And it was a day and a half retreat. By the way, Carrie at the time went. She was on the Marketo Advisory Board. But we went to Spanish Bay and, you know, we treated everybody if they wanted to golf or do something like that. 
we took care of that. And then, then they spent dinner with us and then a full day of, of meetings. And, Mm -hmm. but everything was documented. We had a facilitator there. We, you know, Mm -hmm. we, we brought a bunch back. And I think that for these executives that were committing to that day, they could go back to their teams and say, this is what I learned. I got Mm -hmm. to sit around a table with 10 other people like me who have similar challenges that we have and here are the things I learned. And so it was a true information exchange and it wasn't just a Marketo agenda and that's the way it should be. Yeah. I heard uh, something that a company did that I, I was just fascinated by that um, sort of the cross between the customer advisory board and the product council. One of the things that they started to do was they actually got these, these customers together and they brought the product team and engineering And they said, we're going to sit and we want to talk about features, functionality you want to build. They sat there. They spent a couple of days really digging in and basically had a product manager in engineering start to spec out. This is what we're going to build and actually did a little bit of co-development with the customers that were there. And then when they had their user conference, you know, six months later, they got to release some of what they started to to co-build. And the customers that were there were like, we actually, we made this. Right. This, they yeah. felt vested. They yeah. were so vested yeah. in it. And yeah. when, you know, the CEO goes on stage and says, we're announcing X, it is we're announcing X, which is co-developed with these specific customers. It was such a big win for them. Yeah. The customers were really, really passionate about that. And I heard of this company doing it going, first of all, I wish I would have thought of that. But I just I love that that idea of how you really, really build that super, super deep connection with your customers and literally give them exactly what they want. Yeah. No, it's it's not easy to do. I mean, it's it's hard enough just picking, you know, we're building a new product right now on the planning side. Mm -hmm. So we handle a lot of the go to market execution and measurement, but we're building a front end planning product which is really the starting point mm-hmm. before you execute anything, yeah. right? Yeah, and totally. so, um, but the way we're going about that is we have a handful of customers that are design partners. And that didn't come by way of a focus group or a, you know, an advisory board. But, you know, in conversations with customers, they just wanted to get involved and they want this to be the planning mm-hmm. product that they use going into 2020. Can we believe we're saying 2020? It's wild. I've said it now twice or three times and I just go, this is odd. But yeah, so I think it's the same concept. You get a you get a collection of design partners and and they really are committed because you're building something for them and they're committing their skin in the game is we're going to buy this thing and we're going to use it. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to stick to our schedule. But that that kind of uh, interaction is super fun. Final question. I could I could quite literally do an entire episode on this This is super fascinating. (laughs) Did you do it on during the weekday or on a weekend? We did it during the week. Oh, see that? I think that that's the way to go. Spanish Bay. And what we did, and the other thing I think it's funny because previously we had done more of just a meeting style thing, like come to the Marketo office. And it's like, you got to get, gotta I think get you got to yep. interrupt people and get them out of their environment. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you, and you want it to be like a retreat thing where they can unplug a little bit mm-hmm. and they can be around people like them that they wouldn't hang out with otherwise. And if they, you know, if they want to take advantage of the stuff, you know, some people golfed, I would say maybe 20% of the people actually golf, mm-hmm. but people just came to this really nice resort and wanted to, Maybe they went to the spa, but yeah. yeah, it made a big difference. But I think we did, it was like a Wednesday, Thursday or something. And I think they had the option if they wanted to stay for the weekend, 
you know, they would get a good rate or something like oh, that. But cool. no, it was, it was, it was during the week. I love that yeah. last part. Cause then yeah. it's like, you know, then they can bring the fam or the whatever yeah. it is. And then you're continuing to provide. Well, that's the other thing we did. And, and, uh, and I learned this way back when I was at Informatica, when we did, um, we did one of these, the first advisory boards like this that I'm speaking of, we would do, you know, we do different cities, not always kind of retreat like or nice places, but not necessarily golf. But we would do it where there was always a spousal program, too. Mm-hmm. So That's if awesome. they wanted to travel and they brought their husband, wife, partner, what have you, they there were activities for that side of the house while the other person went to meetings. And that that's a nice draw, too, because if you're. If you're traveling a lot, you, you want to have that as, a, as option. an option. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were talking about that because we just did mission our mission offsite and a bunch of other stuff. I'm like, we're going on like day 11 of not seeing our significant others, yeah, you know, and you're like, hard. all right, this is, uh, this is getting Yeah, but lot. what if you could bring them, right? And some, com- you know, the tricky stuff you get into in some of those situations is some companies, it starts to be more like a gift yeah. than they can't accept certain things. But, oh, because and like government entities yeah, can't accept Yeah, but we, for and, the most part, we were like some, like we would pay for, so it's your time, so we're not paying anybody to attend, but we would pay for flights, and of course we would pay for the boarding. Um, I remember there were occasions where a couple of the guests couldn't even accept us paying for the flight, but yeah. they, they could let us pay for the, the boarding because that, that was part of the meeting. Yeah. But, um yeah. That's great. Man, that was, that was awesome stuff. That's yeah, really good. this is fun, you guys. You Let's do a get, great job. Thanks. Let's get into lightning round. Yes. Oh. Fast and easy questions. Just like fast and easy marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about all the amazing things that Pardot is doing. Fast and easy questions for lightning round. Are you ready? Ready. Number one. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? The most fun? Probably Facebook. Favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? I just did the Matt Hines podcast. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I nice. did that on Friday. So um, I'd probably have to say that one. I think it's called Pipe the Pipeline Podcast. Do you know it? Oh, oh, I do. I've been on this. Matt, yeah. we're so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna put the we'll put we're, this we'll in put, we'll put the, ah hold on just look pipe it up. drive pipe drive no no give me two seconds i'll look it up <laughs> it's it's definitely the something sales pipeline podcast yes. i think yes give me two sales seconds pipeline radio. thank you okay i'm All sure right. i've been deleted immediately and matt hines <laughs> with sales pipeline radio <laughs> uh, what is your favorite one day vacation spot one day long weekend long weekend probably the wine country where in wine country love sonoma love Na- i like um, i like auberge in napa oh who doesn't yeah. like auberge yeah. in napa also auberge in napa if you would like to send marketing trends a discount hey that's you know if we <laughs> that, need that a case be, we'll take a case yeah, we'll, we'll take put a it case, in the yes. studio we'll have it for our guests if you're listening <laughs> um what question do we not ask you that you wish you were asked more often? What's the biggest trend for marketers today? That's literally the next question. So uh, uh. you beat us to the punch there. <laughs> what is the biggest trend for marketers? 
Well, there's so many cool things happening with technology that we could probably, you guys probably have done a whole show about those. But I really do think, to be a little bit self-serving here, that kind of the, the brethren of operations people on the marketing side are finally getting their fair seat at the table mm-hmm. because they are not just data analyzers, you know. Sitting in the back. Sitting in the back. They they truly are strategic and they are driving more than we know. And it's great to, we call them op stars. It's great Ooh. to see op stars get their fair shake. And it's exciting. And it's great to see all the attention on the operations teams here at Serious Decisions this week. Oh, that is fantastic. And I, I could not agree with you more. The operations team is the backbone of any successful marketing program. And it's the... The teams you see are the teams that get funded. They're the teams that get staffed. They're the teams that get recognized. And the teams you don't see tend to be understaffed, underfunded, not recognized. But none of us would exist without our marketing operations team and function. And it's so nice to finally see them getting that that bit of recognition of, no, the reason product marketing is, is successful, the reason demand gen is successful, the Absolutely. reason marketing is successful is your are your op stars. That's right. Go Upstars. Last question of lightning round. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO? Uh, well, I would. we've kind of talked about it a little bit already. I would just say, yes, you have to, you've got to care about revenue and you've got to navigate, you know, all the politics in your company to add value across the organization. But just stay true to your brand and make sure that the thing that you stand for as a company is the thing that you care about as a CMO, because that's the only way you'll succeed and rise above all the noise out there. So be true to your brand. I love it. Karen, this has been absolutely awesome. We know that you do have something to plug because you have open recs and you're hiring right now. We'll link those up in Marketing Trends newsletter and in the show notes. Any specific uh, roles you want to shout out? Well, we are hiring across the board in sales, so AEs and SDRs, both mid-market and enterprise for both. And on the marketing team, I'm always looking for good demand gen people, Mm -hmm. always looking for great partner marketers, can't find enough. And we also have spots open for engineers, etc. But we're hiring fast, we're growing fast, and we'd love to have you join the team. And our listeners can go to leandataink.com. Correct. Uh, and learn more. Thanks so much for coming on. This is absolutely, we, you have an open invitation anytime. This Yay, was awesome. This was a blast, you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. 
The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.